Good morning, church. Praise the Lord. It's good to be back at Redeemer Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi is the state of my father's family. Uh, up below Memphis is where all my kinfolk come from. My father married my mother. She's from New Jersey. And my father abandoned my family when I was four, so he put us on a train to send us up to New Jersey. And uh, then later I came back to Tennessee. I was born in Memphis, but came back and have lived in Chattanooga now for the last 50 years. So I tell people I was kidnapped by Yankees, and, uh, but then came down to go to Covenant College. And I, I really want to thank the city of Jackson. Uh, I guess they heard that I was coming. They paved the street. In, uh, the other times I've been here, that's not been true. Uh, so that's nice. I bring you greetings. From my wife, she wasn't able to be with me. I had to go to New Mexico first, so I flew in last night from New Mexico from a conference. And uh, while I was gone, it snowed in Chattanooga, so she was excited about that. But she sends her love to you all. And some of you may know my, uh, my daughter, Curran, and uh, my son-in-law, Alex. Uh, we were up in Rochester, New York, uh, to baptize their son, Ezekiel, last Sunday. And that's the snow capital of the country. So my visits up there will be few, uh, <laughs> unless it's the summertime. Uh, but I am so glad to be with you on your 15th anniversary. Congra congratulations. Praise the Lord. You know, Amen. As the psalmist says, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, Amen. where would I be? And it was by God's grace that you became a church and... Um, We'll talk about some aspects of your congregation as we go through this sermon this morning. But you know you're not a normal church, right? Have you figured that out? Now what's interesting to me, even as I think about 15 years for you guys, is that some of the children and young people in this church who have been here for 15 years have never known a church to be different. For them, black folk and white folk, have always worshipped together. And what you've done is ruin them. <laughs> we, we know that at New City in Chattanooga. We, we have children grow up in our church. They go off to college. They go to other places. They come back and say, I can't find a church. I go to a church. Everybody there is white. Or everybody there is black. I, I, I haven't found a church like ours. Now, I, I, the good news is, in the last 10 years, the amount of multi-ethnic churches has, has multiplied in an amazing way. And I give God, we all should give God praise and glory for that. And I'm talking about churches that do preach the gospel and are trying to live out the gospel of the kingdom. And that is a wonderful and marvelous thing. You are a model of that. We are proud of you. Uh, part of my job is to be the coordinator of what is called the New City Network. And these are churches that are urban, cross-cultural, include the poor, have joyful worship, and sound biblical preaching. And so you're part of that network. We're in about 80-something cities in about five countries now. And uh, so it's my job to come visit and cause trouble and uh, encourage. And uh, so we're just so pleased to be here. 
I knew I was in Mississippi when you sang that blues song uh, in worship that talked about prison. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm in Mississippi. So, I don't know why prison reminds me of Mississippi. but uh, I'm sorry. I'm fooling around too much. Okay. We need to get to the word and we need to pray. Let's pray first. Father God, please send the Holy Ghost. Please help me not to preach in my own strength, but in your grace. And we're asking for a work of grace in our lives. We're praying that Christ might be magnified, exalted. We're praying that sinners might come to faith. We're praying that broken hearts might be healed. We do pray for our nation. We pray for our president, our Congress, and all our leaders that you would help them do right. We pray for peace in this nation of confusion. And that your glory would be revealed. So bless us now. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are preaching from the Gospel of St. Luke and from Acts chapter 20, which you have already heard in your hearing. But uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. And we are going to... Uh, Hopefully begin reading at verse 51. Hear the word of the Lord. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, that is to die on the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Title of my sermon today is Hold On. One of my favorite songs is sung by Mahalia Jackson uh, with Duke Ellington's orchestra. Now Mahalia, uh, she refused to sing secular music. She would only sing gospel music, but she had no problem singing it to jazz. And if you've never heard that song, I encourage you to look it up on the internet sometime. Uh, keep your hand to the plow. Hold on. Now we'll talk more about that uh, verse, but I want to warn you what's coming. In this sermon, I have six points. So five particular warnings. Five particular warnings and then one 
particular reassurance. And uh, I need to spend probably a little more time in the reassurance than I did in the first service. Uh, they didn't look too reassured when they left. So <laughs> I will tell you, as I stood at the door and shook hands as people came out, uh, an African-American sister came up to me and said, your last name was my maiden name. That's the first time I've ever met a black person with my family name. So she's a cousin. And I said, well, do you, know, do you have any idea when the families uh, got together? And uh, she said, no, we don't know. But she's from the same, her family's all from the same part of Mississippi. So that was very encouraging to me. Glad to see that. All right. Five particular warnings. Now, did you notice uh, in our reading that Jesus and his disciples are going along the road. They are going towards Jerusalem. He is heading for the moment when he'll be betrayed and, and he will be crucified and die for our sins. And nothing is going to set him back from that. But as he's going along the road, uh, obviously Jesus was pretty famous. Uh, many, many people would bring the sick to him. People would follow him. Huge crowds would often gather around him. And so by this time in his ministry, he's not an unknown. He's walking along and somebody says to him uh, something that's it's re it's really a wonderful statement. It's, it's the kind of statement any pastor, any evangelist uh, would want to hear. It says, he said, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow. I mean, that, that's what we want. When we, we tell people about Jesus, we want them to get to that point and say that. Lord Jesus, where, where, wherever you want me to go, that's where I'll go. And it sounds great. Uh, when my wife became a Christian, uh, it was in our youth group. She, she and I grew up on the same block, went to the same grammar school, same high school, and uh, then she came out to our youth group, and that's when I first met her, even though we lived in buildings right next to each other. And in, in a little while, she came to Jesus, and I claimed this was our first date. She says it was not, but it was. Uh, I asked her if she would come out to a, a missions conference, a youth missions conference. And so we were there, and as a great missions conference speaker, the speaker was speaking on Isaiah chapter 6. Does anybody know the punchline? In Isaiah chapter 6, you know, it's where uh, he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall, I, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And that was the text that day at that youth missions conference. And, and the, the preacher said, all right, now I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And he said, I'm going to ask you a question if God were to call you into missions, would you go? And if, you say, if your answer is yes, I want you to stand up. Now, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, now, I'm an older Christian, and in a few moments, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to show Joan the proper response to this call. And while I'm thinking that, Joan, of course, had already stood up. And I opened my eyes, and there she was standing, and so... I now sheepishly stood up. And later on, when we were going home, I asked her, why did you stand up so fast? And this, this, is, this sums up my wife's theology. 
If God were to ask you something, why wouldn't you do it? I mean, just, she's obviously an immature Christian. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Okay. Well, this, is, this is what you want from people. This is what any, anybody would think is a great statement. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And here we get, in, in, the, in these conversations, it's like people are smacking each other in the mouth. And it's like Jesus turns to him and says, seriously? Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you have any idea what you're saying when you say you'll follow Christ? My first point is you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost as an individual and you need to count it as a church. Because Jesus calls you to places sometimes your imagination could, could never take you. You have no idea what the Lord Jesus may lay upon you, what, what he might call you to do. Here you have found yourself in a multiracial church. You have found yourself in, in, in a cross-cultural ministry in Jackson, Mississippi. And this, is, this church is not in a vacuum. It is in the context of the history of the United States and the history of this state. And there was a time for this to happen. People's lives would have been at risk. Now, you're awfully quiet, but, you know, I would appreciate an amen or that's right or, you know, something. To, okay, thank you. Yeah. So what has happened here is by the grace and glory of God. That God has, as he says in Ephesians 2, which is the paradigm of reconciliation for all people and our relationship with God, he has broken down the middle wall of partition. Jesus is our peace. And it costs something to be part of that. This, this didn't happen by accident. This was intentional. Everybody say the word intentional. Don't forget that because that's part of the vision of this church. This is what this church is about. Well, when I became the pastor of New City, I was the founding pastor in Chattanooga uh, in 1976. That's a long time ago. Man. Uh, and I, I was uh, obviously younger. Uh, one man accused me, you are, he said, you are, you are tenaciously cross-cultural. And he didn't mean it as a compliment. But I took it as one. Because that's exactly what God had called us to. And you know, there's a price to be paid for that. One of the things we learn in a cross-cultural church is that pretty much everybody pays a price to be part of a cross-cultural church. You don't get everything your own way the music is not always, all the way through the service, everything you want it. And, you know, it, it's interesting. Sometimes white people think that black people are, are thrilled to come to worship with white people. I mean, come on, who wouldn't be? Right? But do you know the price that black people often pay 
to have to, to come to worship with white, that they go home and they have family members, they have friends, and they look upon them as traitors. Solidarity is a big value in the black community. And when you break that solidarity, there's a great suspicion. Why are you doing that? Are you rejecting us? You selling out to the man? Now, that's old language. Some of y'all don't remember the 60s or 70s, but you might be an Uncle Tom. You might be a sellout. You might be called all kinds of names. We have had white people put their lives at risk to come to worship with us because of where they grew up and who their families are. And you never know when racism will rear its ugly head and violence will explode. There is a price to pay to follow Christ, period. There's a price to be paid to follow Christ in the expression of his kingdom, which is what this church is about. You need to count that cost. And some of you will come to certain stages in your life where the cost will be too much. And we see that at New City. We see families where they, when they're young couples, they have no kids. It's great. As soon as they have kids, they, they want to go to a, an all-white church. Or they have kids get into youth group and that social dynamic. And they go, oh, we're, we're leaving this church to, to go here. And it's interesting the different stages of life where people pay that price. We also have people who will tell you that they will never go to another kind of church again. It's interesting. You know, white churches split, black churches split, but so far as we see most of our cross-cultural churches, they don't split. The unity means too much, too much. Now, the second person in this conversation, Jesus says to him, follow me. You have just been given an invitation by the Son of God. The Lord Jesus himself has just said, follow me. And, you know, in the stories of the Gospels, we see that many times with his disciples. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They left, they left everything, and they followed him. He said to Matthew, the tax collector, follow me. He left his whole vocation. He left a life, really, of wickedness and thievery. And followed Christ. And now Jesus says it. We don't know the name of this person. But the person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now that, I mean, come on, who's going to argue with that? Funerals are important. You, you can even get off work for a funeral, you know. Some of you probably, your father has died three or four times in one year at your job, just so you could get a day off, you know. I mean, they'll, they'll let you off for a funeral in your family. Lord, let me first go. First go. And listen, this is kind of a, a smack in the mouth to this person. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow. Now, now, I believe as I read the Gospels, Jesus does care about families. You know, when Peter's mother-in-law got sick, you know, he went and healed her. Uh, he, when, when, when Matthew uh, left everything to follow Jesus, he threw a party at his house. You know, so, so there was this, this uh, at least a, a celebration of leaving everything behind, but but this is pretty radical. 
And the point I think Jesus is getting uh, over to him and to us is you need to consider your priorities. What are your priorities? Now, family's a big deal. But when you come to Jesus Christ, even your family becomes second place. Now, I've got to be careful about this. Because we have had a lot of fundamentalist religious people be so engaged with religion that they have neglected their families. They, they haven't supported their families. They haven't been there for their children. And I, I grew up around some of those kind of folk. I don't think that's what Jesus means. I, I don't think Jesus says, you know, if, if you're going to, you got to love me and hate your family. I mean, he basically says that. You know, you, you, that it's a radical parting. We are always called to take care of those who are dependent on us. We are always called to love them. The question is, again, what is your priority? Are they always pulling you from the Savior? Are they pulling you away from from the cost of the kingdom? Brothers and sisters, it's sometimes hard. You you never know when the the challenge will come up. You know, it, it, it might come up to where you go to school. You know, if your parents say... Anything but that Christian place to get your, it might come up in the vocation you feel God has called you to. It might even come up in the mission field. You know, I remember when uh, Joan and I had children, and shortly after we had kids, and uh, we were thrilled to have our first two sons. And uh, then God called us to Africa for two years uh, as missionaries to Kenya. And uh, my mother and Joan's mother, uh, they looked at us and said, Well, maybe you can go. You know, you're going to take our grandchildren away? And you know, that, that's the thing. When you, when you serve the Lord, your kids go with you. And they're exposed to things you thought maybe they'd never be exposed to before. But I'll tell you this. If God loves you and he's faithful to you, he'll be faithful to your kids. They are safe and you are safe in the will of God. Amen? Get your... Priorities right. Now we come to the point where this person says, let me go, uh, go home and say goodbye. And Jesus uses this phrase. He says, you know, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that's where that song comes from. Uh, Keep your hand on the plow. Hold on. Hold on is the title of this sermon. But in this particular case, That's not exactly what is said. Jesus doesn't say that you took your hand off the plow. It said basically it's you took your eye off the goal. You got your hand on the plow. You've committed your life to Christ. You said, yes, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to be a worker in the kingdom. I got my hand on the plow. But then I look away, looking back. Now, Now, I'm I'm not a farmer. I've only tried planting gardens a few times. But I I have resented other gardeners. And I confess this. I have coveted their ability to plant a, a row in a straight line. It's a grief to me that they are so obsessive compulsive with straight lines. 
I'm sort of an ADHD gardener, you know, because my rows kind of go like that. And obviously, if you go anywhere in the world pretty much and see agriculture, and people plant in straight lines. They, they put distance between the plants. They, they do that for efficiency's sake. They got to get in there and get the weeds out, and, and, and they do it right. And the problem when you're plowing, if you take your eye off the goal, that, that row doesn't hoe in exactly a straight line. And here I think Jesus is teaching us, you know, once you start in this Christian faith, and once he calls you to obedience, you need not let other things distract you. And they will. You know, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that everybody who ever came to Christ at New City and every child that was raised in our, our church is still in the faith. I wish I could tell you that every officer, every elder, and every deacon that we ever had it, it kept their faith and have lived their faith and is still in the faith. But I can't tell you that. Because we've had casualties along the way. We've had people who fell into adultery. We've had people fall into unbelief. We've had people who fell into worldliness. They've walked away from God. And God forbid that you should have any of those stories here at Redeemer. And that is why it's our job as preachers of the word to tell you, keep your hand on the plow. Keep your eye on the goal. Do not look back. Don't let the world suck you in. What you are doing in the, in, in, in the whole concept of becoming a cross-cultural body of Christ, you are, by your very life, making a radical witness to the world. Don't give up on it. Don't let your row squiggle. You could write that down. That was a great line from a sermon, okay? <laughs> now let me, let me go on to the book of Acts because we've still got two more warnings to go. So count the cost, consider your priorities, continue your focus. And now the warning is contention from without. If you uh, have your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 20 and you'll see what I'm talking about where the Apostle Paul uh, says goodbye um, to the Ephesian elders. And as he tells them a goodbye and he prays over them and he tells them, you, you'll never see my face again, he knew that this was the beginning uh, of the end for him, really, where he would be uh, arrested and then have to eventually go before uh, Caesar. Uh, he warns them. He said in verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock into which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's especially talking to the elders. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. We are, are told about wolves in sheep's clothing. 
Brothers and sisters, there will be people who will be inspired by the devil himself to come in and tear you apart. But you won't always know that that's their agenda until all of a sudden you see the bodies on the ground. Every once in a while, ranchers and farmers, they, they go out to the pasture and they notice that the carcasses of sheep, and sometimes the wolves have come or the coyotes have come, and they have just indiscriminately seen. They didn't even stop to make a whole meal out of that animal. They just like killing. And, you know, we're in a spiritual warfare. The devil hates us because we have been purchased by Christ. We belong to Christ. We bear the name of Christ. And the devil wants to destroy us. And so sometimes people come, and sometimes they'll seem more religious than you. You'll kind of step and say, oh, they're taking leadership. Oh, but they don't have the same agenda. So you watch out when somebody is full of pride, arrogance, ego, and hubris. And they know better than everybody else. They start critiquing everybody else. They start telling you privately, personally, or in a small group how the pastors have failed, how the elders have failed, how we've gone adrift from our doctrine. Now, look, we always, we, you know, we're Presbyterians. We love doctrine. Okay? I mean, we don't laugh. Presbyterians don't, not, we, no. You go to Presbytery General Assembly, laughing is not allowed because our doctrine is serious. Now, I'm, I'm just making fun. Of course, they do laugh, but not about doctrine. <laughs> but it's amazing how quickly people will tear each other apart for a religious cause and have nothing to do with the spirit of Jesus. You watch out for that. And, that, you know, there, there, there's, you need to have your antenna up. Is this of Christ or is this of the flesh? You're, you're using God words, but I don't see the spirit of Christ here. I don't see any humility here. And then there's one more warning. Conflict from within. So it's not even people coming from without. It's people who are among us and they start twisting things. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You know, we, we live in America. A, a religion is like our, our part-time vocation in America. And if, if you don't like religion, you can make one up for yourself. That's, that's sort of the American concept of religion. We have so many cults. You know, we, we have so many different perspectives, points of view, and we are just awash in the prosperity gospel, people telling us God wants you to be rich, God wants you to be healed, that the only reason that you have trouble in your life, you don't have enough faith. And, and, and you know, I would like to tell you today, hey, that's only two or three people they meet in somebody's garage, they have no future. But some of these people have mega churches. I mean, they're asking for $65 million airplanes, and they're getting it. And ignorant people are being deceived all over the place. And there are people who, we listen, we hear those things, and we think, 
you know, maybe we should go that direction. And we start twisting the word of God. Man, how are you, how are you and I ever going to get to heaven with all of this conflict? We don't count the cost. We don't consider our priorities. We don't keep our focus. We have wolves coming in, tear us apart. We have twisted people among us. So we need to get to our last point. Say, thank God. Thank God. Amen. <laughs> we have a particular reassurance in the comfort of being commended to the word of his grace. Do you see it here? Verse 32 of 20 of Acts. And now I commend you to God or to the Lord and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There are people who are afraid of losing their salvation. Now, you know, we Presbyterians, we have a doctrine called perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints says, if you are one of God's elect, if he called you, then you will definitely come to faith and believe in Jesus. And if you've had faith in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And Jesus said that if you belong to him, nobody can pluck you out of his hand. Amen? Amen. But we have other people who take that doctrine and they say, uh, no, no, if you pray the sinner's prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, and, uh, and then you have eternal security, and it doesn't matter how you live, don't worry, you're going to heaven. That's not the perseverance of the saints. That's salvation by magic words, and then thinking you have license to live like the devil, and that God won't notice. When you are really saved by the grace of God, the grace that opens your eyes to believe, the mercy that found you in your broken condition and brought you from death to life. When you are saved by grace, not only does grace save you, grace will keep you. And this is not just a doctrine. Grace is a power. It is the power of the mercy of God given to people who can't do something for themselves. Don't you realize what you are as a Christian? You are helpless. Except that you have a mighty big God. And if all we had were warnings, if all we had were danger, if all we had were risk, when we come to Christ and we try to stay in Christ, and, and goodness, I mean, here's a, can I have a testimony? Anybody struggle with sin in their life? <laughs> Thank you, honest people. The others are struggling with honesty. We all, as human beings, struggle with sin in our life. What guarantee do you have that you are going to share the inheritance with all the saints? Grace. That he that hath begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to the Ephesian elders as he warns them, he warns them, even some of you may betray the Lord. I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able, the word actually is build a house, which is able to build your house and to give you an inheritance. 
among the saints. You know, you, the choir sang a, a song and uh, right on King Jesus. And, and did you hear the implied challenge in that song? In that great getting up morning, fare thee well. So that's the question. Will you fare well in the great getting up morning? Will you be one of the elect? Will you be one of the saved? And the answer is, by the power of the grace of God, the answer, my answer is yes. My hope is not in myself. My hope is in Christ. And that's where your hope needs to be too. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and sing our closing song and let me pray. Father God, thank you for the word. Please protect this church. Let your grace and mercy and peace rest upon it. Protect them from wolves in sheep's clothing. Protect them from people who would twist the very words of God. Protect them from themselves and all the allure of the world or a compromise of what is first and most important. Lord Jesus, you gave your life for us. You died to save us, to make us the sons and daughters of God. We're asking you for the mercy to hold on to us all the way to heaven. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.